Socialism 101, part two, why do we need socialism? So first of all, what is socialism? Um, to start off, I wanna say it, it's important to state that socialism does not exist and has never existed anywhere in the world. Uh, true socialism is a stateless, classless society where the work to run society is done collectively by everyone. The decisions of society that affect us are made collectively by everyone. And the bounty of our economy is enjoyed collectively by everyone. It's a global society where people would truly be free to pursue their passions because they wouldn't be tied down by poverty or the need to constantly toil to survive. No such society has ever existed. Now, one reason why no such society existed for a long time is because it's based on the premise of there being plenty of life's necessities to go around. This means industrial technology and reliably high levels of economic productivity, which we didn't have until the 19th century. But the development of capitalism in Europe, along with the plundering and enslavement of much of the rest of the world, fueled the Industrial Revolution, which brought us mechanization. Capitalism also drew the world uh, drew the people of the world and the resources, resources of the world into a single global network of production more than ever before. Cottage industries, where individual families or villages made the necessities of life individually in their own homes, were replaced with socialized production, large populations of people working to mass produce for the greater public. So in these ways, Marxists like us say that capitalism brought about the material basis for socialism by socializing production. But as much as this increased productivity, economic efficiency is still severely hampered. And perhaps more importantly, ecological efficiency is still severely hampered. When you think about the way that um, our economy sucks more energy out of the earth than it puts back in. Um, and it's hampered by the fact that ownership is not yet socialized. Under capitalism, we have socialized production, but private ownership of the means of production, meaning the technology and the machinery and the infrastructure that is used to produce everything we need, along with everything that is used to provide the goods and services that we need. So part of the step towards socialism is correcting this by socializing ownership of the means of production. And we socialize ownership by taking collective control by appropriating it as the working class from the capitalist class that currently owns it. Now, since capitalism is a global system, since our systems of production and consumption are so globally integrated and interconnected, and since the institutions of violence used to maintain this system of exploitation, like the US military and arms industry or the Russian military, etc., since that system is so global, there is no way we can just cut a piece out of the integrated whole of the system and build socialism in one little corner of the world. Any more than you could cut the leg off a caterpillar and try to make a butterfly out of it. The only way we can do this is through an international social revolution or series of revolutions involving mass participation around the world to take down capitalism and begin the work of repairing all the damage it's caused to the environment and to all the world's cultures and peoples. Indeed, a revolution in the United States would lift the boot off the neck of so many of the world's peoples, this would free them like never before to overthrow their dictators and build socialism along with us here. Uh, having taken over the vast technological and productive capacities of our modern society, we can finally put this to use in seriously addressing climate change 
And in fact, this is the only way we're going to seriously address climate change and environmental destruction. Instead of leaving people unemployed or pu putting people to work manufacturing weapons or making single-use disposable crap that we don't even need, we can put all of ourselves to work building carbon sink infrastructure, planting trees, reinventing industrial agriculture with polycultural techniques that use multiple species in agriculture that in replenish and enrich the soil, uh, bringing aquacultural farming into cities for more efficient um, use of energy um, to feed populations, uh, building mass public transit, putting wind turbines and solar panels everywhere we need them, and whatever else our brightest minds can come up with to tackle this existential threat. Uh, with collective democratic control of our economy, we can retool production to stop making disposable crap and make it easier to reuse things. There's no reason why we need to produce the mountains of waste that we do. We can produce and consume less, focusing just on what is needed as opposed to what is profitable to keep producing. Something, by the way, that capitalism, which requires constant expansion in a finite world, is completely incapable of doing asking people to consume less. And, stop and we can also stop the endless encroachment into indigenous communities and fragile ecosystems uh, that, the, that our world um, and countless species depend on. We can phase out plastics in favor of non-toxic and or recyclable or biodegradable materials. The list goes on. Um, we don't think that the second the global working class takes control, we immediately achieve socialism. Clearly, the transformation of society will take time. At first, Marxists think that the working class, in its struggle to overthrow the state power of capitalists, will need to coordinate its own unique forms of state structure. Workers' militias, centrally coordinated bodies for distributing goods and resources, etc. This would be a workers' state or federation of workers' states, democratically run and driven by active mass participation of the work class. Through such a state, the international working class would have the collective responsibility of coordinating the disarmament of the capitalist class and building the infrastructure needed to make the means of production and the bounty of production available to everyone. This especially means a global project of reparations to all peoples in this country and around the world who have been most deprived of resources and infrastructure and most exploited for their labor and resources. As we are in the process of transforming the global economy to meet everyone's needs, there will undoubtedly be a period when we don't yet have more than enough of certain necessities to go around, meaning the economy would still need to use some form of money or a voucher system to allocate limited resources. But over time, such a system of currency would become meaningless as more of the necessities of life become readily available and their allocation need no longer be so strictly regulated. If there's more than enough to go around, cultural attitudes and social pressures are enough to keep people from overconsuming. As for work itself, no doubt the work of transforming the economy, healing all the world's wounds left behind by this brutal capitalist system, and pulling us out of climate change will all be a hell of a lot of work. And everyone who can get involved will need to get involved. But again, over time, work itself can become a thing of the past. Technology and mechanization don't have to be bad things for the working class that threaten to take our livelihoods because we'll all own the technology and the machines, not just elites. So we can eliminate our own work by, uh, with machinery and technological advancement. In this way, the worker state, money, and work itself will all wither away, leaving us in a utopian sounding, but in fact, perfectly practicable 
world without states, without armies, without money, without social classes, and without arduous work. This means we could spend our time and energy on whatever we wanted. The concept of work and pastimes and hobbies would be blended as we choose to enrich our lives with whatever activities we wish. Taking up a handicraft like metalworking or carpentry, not because you desperately need the thing you're building. After all, any actual necessities could just be picked up at your local warehouse, but just for the joy of making something. You could imagine that gift giving might become more centered around creativity rather than shopping, since now you actually have the time to make your loved ones a piece of furniture or clothing or a toy. We wouldn't be under the constant psychological terror of economic and social insecurity and all the things that often come from it. Petty fights with those around us over limited resources and services or domestic abuse or any of the mental illnesses that are exacerbated by stress or loneliness. Since work and property would be socialized, it would tend to follow that our lifestyles would be much more socialized as well. We would see people living more communally, raising children more communally, eating more communally, perhaps living in neighborhoods built around common areas for dining, sports, arts, child rearing, education, and community decision-making. A point of, uh, by the way, I'm gonna start talking about sort of uh, the individualistic culture that we live in today and the more sort of collectivist culture that I imagine for the future and sort of a point of clarification before I get into that. Um, people sometimes draw this distinction right between individualistic cultures and collective cultures and the definition that's sometimes thrown around is that individualism means you value the individual more than the group and collectivism means you value the group more than the individual. And sometimes people hold up the United States and China as the classic examples of the opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, but what the US and China have in common is that both of these societies are dominated by an elite minority who exploit the vast majority and where millions of individuals are denigrated constantly, where the labor of the group does not serve the group. So when I say that a real socialist society would be more collective and communal and less individualistic than our capitalist society, I'm not using the, those definitions. For me, individualism, as I use the term to talk about America or capitalism in general in our world, is about the fact that our thoughts are, and our energy and our worries are focused on ourselves as individuals. It's focused on yourself. You see your problems as your problems. The work that you have to do is your work. Your stuff is your stuff. And you're, you're separated as an individual from everyone else. This is the thinking that capitalism encourages and thrives on. But in a collectively minded culture like true socialism, we would not need to be isolated to have to tackle our own problems alone or pursue our own happiness alone, because in fact our problems and our happiness are tied together. We are social creatures who thrive on collective problem solving and healthy social lives. So to me, a collectively oriented socialist society propels every individual to new heights by freeing them up to take care of each other and enjoy each other. And yes, have some alone time when you want it. You know, we're not dealing with scarcity of resources or scarcity of living space um, but surely given the opportunity, I, th I think people would want to be able to be less isolated than we see in our society. Um, communal living and child rearing also means more collective forms of education. 
no more separate systems of education for people of color and whites or for people, uh, poor people and elites. Education wouldn't be what it is under capitalism, basically a way of shaping the future toilers and the future managers. Education under our collective control could actually mean what so many bright-eyed parents and teachers have always wanted it to be, a way of opening up the true potential of every child by exposing them to all the wonders of the world and encouraging them to develop all their talents. Since we are working to live, not living to work, education need not be for gearing us for particular professions. We could all become athletes, artists, scientists, engineers, doctors, at least in some lay capacity, as undoubtedly some people will find particular passions for particular things and become particularly specialized in certain areas. Education could also be more integrated into the world of adults. Children could become more familiar with every aspect of our society, from agriculture to biotechnology, to running a hospital, to waste management, to manufacturing, to whatever. From an early age, we wouldn't be so alienated from the world we live in. We could actually understand where the things we eat and use come from. We could actually recognize local plants and animals better than brand logos as we do today. And we wouldn't separate people into those who use their hands and those who use their minds. Finally, just think of all the Einsteins out there just waiting for a stable home life and a decent education to unleash their potential. The collectivization of child rearing and domestic labor to be shared by the community as a whole, regardless of gender, is also critical to the liberation of women. As much as some might think that in 21st century America, child care, cooking and cleaning are shared equally between parents, in fact, women are still overwhelmingly held responsible for this unpaid labor in addition to whatever paid work that they have to do. The liberation of women and all genders is also critical to socialism because it's a critical part of the social revolution which precedes socialism. The working class will not be able to accomplish the task of its own liberation through the overthrow of capitalism if one part of the working class is still exploiting another part. It takes a united front to overthrow capitalism with the full participation of everyone, which inevitably means that all forms of liberation will have to be on the agenda for any part of the socialist agenda to succeed. The same goes for all non-binary genders and all forms of sexuality. In fact, the outlawing of homosexuality and the enforcement of strict male versus female gender roles were for so long so violently upheld under capitalism precisely because any deviation was seen as a threat to capitalism. The nuclear family and traditional gender roles were seen as critical for the working class to reproduce itself and keep the system going. Any threat to the sacredness of the traditional nuclear family was seen as a threat to capitalism. Socialized property would take away all the pressures to form nuclear families. In communal life, there would be no economic considerations for loving who you want to love or raising children with whoever you want to raise them with. Our very concepts of gender may even break down as people just be who they want to be. Just as the class struggle requires a struggle against sexism in order to succeed, so too it requires a struggle against racism. In this way, socialist liberation would necessarily also be an end to all forms of racial oppression. Whenever black people have risen up in the United States, it has had global repercussions for the struggles against racism as well as the class struggle. We see this now with the waves of protests happening around the world in solidarity with George Floyd. When the international working class unites all its struggles in a social revolution to overthrow capitalism, no one will be able to go through that experience without having been transformed. All such common struggles affect 
people this way and have a way of undermining people's prejudices. As people in one of the most militant sectors of the working class say, if you're a fellow coal miner, you're my brother. The transformation of our culture through social revolution and the communalization of our lifestyles would also mean a transformation of our morals from being based on transactions or petty individualism to being based on solidarity. No more screwing each other over, stepping over the homeless people in our communities, etc. We would be driven to treat each other fairly by the power of social approval and disapproval. We wouldn't prefer to be seen by, because who wouldn't prefer to be seen by their loved ones and neighbors as a decent person and a team player? Besides, antisocial behavior isn't tolerated in a society where no one has any power that they can lord over anyone else. By taking collective ownership over living spaces, our workspaces, everything, we also change how we see these spaces. These aren't someone else's spaces that we're just stuck living in. These are our spaces to take care of and shape how we see fit. In a global society based on solidarity and mutual care, there is no need for war, armies, cops, or jails. The purpose of the state is to defend the rule of one class over others. Capitalist classes in different countries use their states to go to war with one another over who gets the best deal out of exploiting the world and its people, while they set the po police and prison system on their own people to keep things going as smoothly as possible, despite the fact that this system exploits and neglects so many people. Prisons are only necessary because the drive for survival in a system that doesn't take care of so many people pushes some of us to violent extremes. Prisons are also simply used to maintain systems of racial inequality to keep the working class divided. Instead of using prisons, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to deal with the dangerous antisocial behavior of a, of a minority of people humanely through the community support, therapy, education, etc. As I said before, Marxists like us believe that in order to overthrow the capitalist class and prevent them from regrouping to take back power, the working class will have to build its own forms of state power. Workers' militias to disarm the vestiges of the capitalist class, etc. But as this state pursues its work of giving everyone equal access to work education and the bounties of the economy, class distinctions will wash away, and as everyone will be in the working class, while enjoying a quality of life far superior to any enjoyed today. Uh, in this way, the very work of the worker state will make it obsolete as there will no longer be the threat of a capitalist class to defend against and the state will wither away, which is to say we will stop spending our time and energy in maintaining a state. Humanity lived in stateless classless societies for 95% of its 300,000 year long existence on this planet. But with socialism, stateless, classless society could reemerge on a higher level of knowledge, technology, and possibility. Welcome to the future. Humanity has left its infancy and consciously directed human history has begun. <laughs>